Well, good morning, everybody. Why don't you go and say hello to somebody? If there's somebody you fancy the look of, why don't you go and just say hello to them? Isn't it good? It's good to be together. Okay. I wonder if I could ask you, please, to turn with me to the book of Acts, chapter 1. Just put your finger in the book of Acts, chapter 1. We're continuing our conversation this morning as we embrace this incredible concept that God has invited His church to partner with His Spirit to bring life to every part of our culture and every part of His world. Isn't that an exciting adventure? You see, for many years I thought being a Christian was just trying to keep myself right with Jesus. And I think so many of us have spent a lot of our life and a lot of our Christian walk just trying to keep away from things that may contaminate us or in many ways affect us negatively. But what we fail to understand, what we are starting maybe to comprehend, is greater is He who is in us than anything that we face in this world. And that requires a shift in the way we think, because if we don't change the way we think, we won't change the way we live. And so when we get up in the morning and we put on our clothes and we step out into our world, my dream, my dream for His church, is that everyone everywhere, in every which way possible, would release life, the life of the presence of the Spirit, the power of God amongst people. Wouldn't that be exciting? That would turn a boring job into an exciting opportunity, wouldn't it? You would start to see some of the people around you who are in many ways creating havoc for you as people who are really candidates to be blasted by grace and mercy. Moji has one of them, obviously, at work. Yeah. And shifting our minds away from trying to keep ourselves from sin and recognizing that greater is He who is in us than anything that the world could contaminate us with will require a diligence and a persistence because we are so, our default, perhaps, is so counterintuitive to this. We've been spending all our lives trying to avoid sin instead of realizing that we were full of Him. We are full of the power and the grace and the goodness of God. Our Lord Jesus Christ has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing. Why don't you nudge the person on your right-hand side and say, that's you, by the way. He's blessed you, blessed you. Now, the book of Acts is called the book of Acts 
because the believers acted. They did something. The first century believers didn't talk a lot about evangelism. It was who they were. They just did what they did. It was part of their DNA. They were not necessarily theologically robust in some of these things, according to how we understand theology, but they knew that if Jesus changed their lives, and he certainly did, that through their lives he could possibly change the world around them. The early disciples were moved with a message, and they lived consistently on mission. So I don't know if you live consistently on mission. <laughs> it's a bit tricky for me to live on mission because hopefully many of you are Christians, and most of my dialogue with you is around matters pertaining to your new identity in Christ. But actually, one of the things I try to do is place myself amongst people who don't know Jesus because I feel that when I'm in those environments, somehow the reality of what God's placed inside of me becomes far more apparent. For the first century church, this wasn't something special or it was just something normal. Everyone, every day, everywhere, just releasing life. And the reason they could do this is because they were steeped in the presence and the power that Jesus had afforded them. These men and women, every time they entered a city, would change the lives of individuals in such a remarkable way. And yet the truth is, as we look at the story now in Acts chapter 1, we realize that wasn't always the case. Go to Acts 1 verse 8. Here Jesus is promising that a movement will begin, a people sent out into his world to do his works and his wonders through the empowerment of his Holy Spirit. Acts 1 Verse 8 says, but you will receive power. 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 If we are ever going to see our world changed or transformed, we need to come to some realization that it's not our ability that will do that. It may be our availability, but it's certainly not our ability. The only one who can change the world is God himself because it's his world. But he has subjected that transforming power to your availability and your capacity to partner with him in the Holy Spirit. But Jesus promises this bunch of people, and let's just find the context. It'll help us a little bit. These are people whose lives have been turned upside down and inside out by following Jesus and then consequently Everything seemed to go terribly wrong when Jesus was crucified. For them, the dream somehow ended when Jesus' life ended here on earth. Now, these men, these women had given up their livelihoods. They've given up their families. They've given up everything that they knew to be real and true. And they pursued a lifestyle, a nomadic lifestyle of traveling with Jesus here and there. They'd witnessed the miracles. They'd seen the signs. They'd watched Jesus raise people from the dead. And their hearts were full of hope until that day, that incredible day when Jesus gasped his last breath. Now, for us, we look back at that story, and we can probably make more clarity about it from our posture than they could from theirs. It would look like the divine dream had come to an end. It seemed to these people that everything that Jesus promised, this new life, this full life, this, this invasion of the kingdom of heaven here on earth had somehow come rapidly to an end. And so we're not talking about faith-filled individuals here. 
We're talking about individuals who are hiding away as a result of the disappointments and the persecution that had come upon them in this moment. And right into the middle of that context, into a group of ordinary people who've come to this extraordinary reality. They are without God. They really can't do anything to change the world around them, let alone change themselves. Jesus speaks these words, and he says, you will receive power. Power. The word here that's used is the word dunamis, which is supernatural power. You will receive supernatural power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And look what the power is for. It's important for me to work this through with us in our minds. You see, I think sometimes we have fallen into the trap of believing the Holy Spirit exists to make us feel good about ourselves. I think we've fallen into the trap of thinking the Holy Spirit has been given to us so we can have some kind of level of personal piety. I think we sometimes allow the Holy Spirit to be, if you like, the headliner amongst us, where he comes and he displays his goodness to us through encounter, by his presence, and we see the manifestation of his reality amongst us in all kinds of signs and wonders. And while all of that may be great for us, it certainly falls short of the dream of God. The Holy Spirit has not been given to you so that you feel good about yourself. I even listen sometimes quite attentively to how people prophesy over people, and we've become a bless me generation. When we want the Holy Spirit to speak, we want him to remind us how beautiful we are, how incredible we are, how precious we are in the eyes of God. If I was in a relationship with someone and all they ever did was seek that kind of affirmation, I would recognize I could do very little about their insecurity but repeat myself. So God has more in store for us than just personal encounters with his Holy Spirit. And look what that invitation is to. And you will receive power. Say power for me. I wonder where that is in our lives. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses. In other words, you'll turn up in this world, and you'll have seen something that you can testify to. The word here is a legal word, which means giving evidence of. So when we turn up in our world, we are to give evidence of something that we've encountered, a reality we've experienced with God. And you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses, turning up, bringing evidence of God. And look where the mission begins. In Jerusalem, in all Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Now, Go back to the start of this narrative. A bunch of frightened people, confused about all that Jesus had told them would come to pass. Their conviction was that whatever Jesus was here to do, it would certainly be to liberate the Jews from Roman oppression. Well, that didn't seem to have happened. They've given up their lives. They've followed Jesus. They've witnessed a supernatural kingdom where God moved in and out of people's lives in such a profound way. They'd never met anyone like Jesus. He was absolutely breathtaking to him. And suddenly, they find themselves in a place they never imagined they'd ever be. The dreams look like there's something in the past. There's confusion. There's anxiety. There's fear for their own life. And right in the middle of that, God promises. Now, I don't know where you are today on the spectrum of hope, but it really doesn't matter to God whether you're hiding in the upper room or you're standing on a street corner with boldness. God's promises are yes and amen. They're yes and amen. 
and the promise to receive power is still available to us today. I think if I'm, ever, if I'm really honest with you, sometimes when I watch the news, I feel a bit powerless in knowing how to pray. But I have been promised that I will receive power. We don't want to pray with our intellect. We want our spirit to pray, to pray alongside Jesus, the great high priest and intercessor, praying God's prayers for our world. In the midst of all the chaos and the anarchy, it's our only hope that we would be empowered and invigorated by the Spirit to be able to pray effectively. And for them too, the very place that was the hostile place was the first place where that power was about to be evidenced. In Jerusalem, Jerusalem, where all the anarchy was taking place. Jerusalem, where all of the intimidation by the Romans was taking place. In Jerusalem, where the same people that crucified Jesus were on the rampage to destroy and annihilate and wipe out the church. You see, when we think this through, we recognize that God always places power in the hands of improbable people who are facing insurmountable problems. Hallelujah. God always places power on improbable people who are facing insurmountable problems. And of course, the story begins. And as we turn over into the second chapter of Acts, we see the fulfillment of that promise. Acts chapter 2 begins with the beginnings of the whole mission of the church and the promised immersion of the Holy Spirit becomes clear. It has a profound impact on the disciples. Acts chapter 2, it says, When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. And suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them, all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. And so we find ourselves, not only has Jesus promised, but Jesus has now begun to fulfill that promise in their lives. Unsuspecting people in a hidden place with all kinds of issues about their own safety are impacted by the power of the Holy Spirit I just want to say this out loud for the sake of the tape, officer. Unless the church recognizes that it's not by might and not by power, but by his spirit, we are going to waste years of our lives trying to do something in our own strength and in our own capacity. And if you think it through, it's quite ludicrous. You can't even change your own mind, let alone change your world. Unless the Lord begins and continues to build the house, we are all just laboring in vain. And for some people, somehow, in some way, the Holy Spirit has become some kind of extra, extra to the spiritual journey. And I beg to differ that without the Holy Spirit, all you've got really is religion and human effort. But when you have the Holy Spirit, the power of the Spirit in your life, you have unlimited resources made available to you by the God who knows everything about everything. 
It would seem ludicrous to me, therefore, that for some of us, we think that we, the Holy Spirit is just some kind of extra for the outrageous ones or the excessive ones. Everything that God did in the New Testament church was because they received power. And that power transformed the way they thought and certainly turned up in the way that they act. Let's look at that power and what it did. Well, the first thing it did is it reminded them that God was present. When the Holy Spirit comes upon our lives, he always reminds us of the preeminence through the presence of God. Have you ever been in a situation where you found yourself just lacking faith? Have you ever come to church and you've stepped on the cat and hit the wife? Oh, sorry, hit the cat and stepped on the wife? Have you found yourself turning up in an environment like this and your heart's just not in it? Your mind is elsewhere? Is it just me? Does that not happen to all of us? Don't we live very difficult lives sometimes? And without even wanting to, God's power begins to do something. You've not prayed it. You don't, not even sure you're interested at that moment. But God is relentless in his pursuit of your heart and life. And suddenly a song title or a phrase will come or someone will say something or someone will shout hallelujah behind you. And after it frightens the life out of you, you realize it's the life of Christ that's been coming into you. God's promise to us is that we would not be on our own trying to make some sense of this thing called Christianity. But our friend, our comforter, our teacher, the Holy Spirit, will lead us and guide us and show up in our lives in so many more ways than we've allowed him to. The greatest thing that could happen in the church of this hour is that we become completely reliant on the Holy Spirit. The greatest thing that could happen to the church in the West is that we put aside some of our sophistication and become childlike and say, God, will you come? Will you move? Let your power be at work in me and through me in the world in which you've placed me. So there was a promise and then there was a fulfillment. But that promise and that fulfillment quickly became a problem. You see, it seems to me as we read through the scriptures that what God started out as a, a movement actually quickly became a monument. What God did in them privately and consequently publicly, and let's look at that. So they receive power, the Holy Spirit comes upon them. They begin to speak in other tongues. There's a sound of a mighty rushing wind. And as they fall out of that upper room, something remarkable happens. It's actually the way the Holy Spirit moves is they turn up in their city, the very city they were trying to avoid. But this time, they're filled with the power of the Holy Spirit, and Peter preaches a blinder, an absolute blinder. He goes from the Old Testament right up to current time. And the Bible teaches us in Acts chapter 2 that as a result of receiving power, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, that these timid individuals were bold in their declaration of Jesus, and in a city, the very city they were seeking to avoid, God began a movement, and 3,000 men, not counting women and children, came to faith in Christ in one day. You people often say to me, Simon, you have grandiose ideas that God could change a city. Well, I have evidence that he does. I think the problem is not God. The problem is the way I see things, how I partner with him, what I believe for, what I understand his capacity is. 
So we look at this story and we realize that maybe it's possible, therefore, that if God moved in power like that on us and we had a fresh baptism of the Holy Spirit, Birmingham might pay attention. Now, in this particular context, we realize that not only were the 3,000 men, because in scriptures, for some reason, they're not counting also the women and children. So we're probably looking at 12,000 people in total were impacted by a sermon that Peter preached out of a boldness that came upon him through an anointing that fell upon his life by the Holy Spirit. Oh God, let there be preachers in our pulpits who are filled with the Holy Spirit's power, preach boldly, and mobilize the church to mission. Amen? When God moves, he always has a bigger landscape in mind. For so long, I've been around revivalist movements, and I always say to Jane, and we get into this conversation regularly, when God begins to move in power, people often try to keep what he's doing. They, they want to build some kind of reservoir for the Holy Spirit. And they sit there often for many, many years and say, Lord, keep coming and keep filling. But you know, the river of God is a metaphor given to us because it speaks of movement and journey. When God pours out his spirit, it's not just so we can hold on to everything he's done for us. It's so that we can give everything he's done for us to everyone around us. And when we give away what we've been given, he gives back again, pressed down, shaken up, and overflowing. So what started with a promise that became a moment of fulfillment or the beginnings thereof, that out of the building into the city actually quickly started to materialize as a place where problems were beginning to uh, become apparent. So look at Acts chapter 2 for me. This is what they did with the outpouring of the Spirit. Acts 2.42 says this. These are all good things, by the way. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Is that a good thing? I think that's a great thing. Now remember, we're not talking about Bible study because they didn't have one. So let's look a little bit further into the reality of what's happening here. They had the Septuagint, the first five books of the, of the Old Testament, and they had the teachings of Jesus that by now was probably more oral than it was written. Okay, so they're talking about something slightly different than we think of when we think of the apostles' teaching. And to fellowship, they devoted themselves to fellowship. Does anybody think that fellowship is a good thing to be devoted to? Yes. Yeah, and, and let's just clear up the clutter here. Fellowship in this context wasn't turning up for church occasionally on a Sunday. Fellowship in this context was doing life alongside your brothers and your sisters at a far more profound level. Still want fellowship? You know, there's a younger generation and they use that phrase, doing life together. And I think what they mean by that is we sit in coffee houses outside on fancy chairs and talk about things. If I'm really honest with you, it's never really sold it to me. I'm not that fussed on coffee. And paying four pounds to drink it really puts me off. <laughs> but if we are going to do life together, could you cut the grass for me next Tuesday? It's possible you could come and paint the front room. 
Now, we laugh and we think, gosh, that's a bit presumptuous. But actually, we have taken these truths and we have narrowed them down in some kind of way that remove from us the potency and the power of their reality. So they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship. In other words, the community became really important. The well-being of the individuals in that community of paramount importance. And look what they did in that community. They devoted themselves to fellowship and to the breaking of bread. What we also need to remind ourselves of here is this isn't the communion cups and God bless us, thank God that COVID is nearly over because my arthritic fingers cannot open those little blessed things on a Sunday. And we might actually return to real bread. I'm bringing my butter. I love Kerrygold. I'm bringing it. <laughs> on Easter Sunday morning, I'm going to lather it on and say, thank you, Jesus, for your body that was broken for me. That wasn't something they did once a month or something they did when they had a spiritual need. I, in plain sight, in the ordinariness of life, in the day-to-day -day routines of living and breathing and eating, God wanted them to be reminded consistently that every time they broke bread, there was a new reality available to them. They had a new kingdom and a new truth to live by. And so it's paramount importance to us that we don't, in our minds, allow our tokenism way of doing it to represent what's being represented here. I think in the early church, they called them love feasts. Anybody ever been to a love feast? No, steady. Don't, don't, don't let your head go off there at some tangent. Okay, a love feast was simply they loved God and they loved each other and they shared everything they had. And look what happened. They started to pray. Is it for me? Thank you. They started to pray. And I think their prayers probably weren't, God, can I have a new house? Verse 43, everyone was filled with awe, not awe, awe, at the many signs and wonders performed by the apostles. And this is one of my favorite verses from this particular part of the Bible. All the believers were together and had everything in common. So whatever movement of the Spirit took place, it certainly changed the way people lived. It certainly changed the way people saw each other, and it certainly changed the priorities that people gave themselves to. And we find ourselves caught up in a new story here. It's the story of the establishment of the church, the ecclesia, the ones who are called out but also called into, seeking first the kingdom of heaven and all its righteousness. Everything in common sounds like an easy phrase to say. <laughs> But I was saying earlier in the first service, I'm not sure I have everything in common with the people I live with. Are you? So it must have been a remarkable work of the Spirit to get a whole bunch of people from very diverse backgrounds and social and economic status to a place where they had everything in common. And I think what it's telling us is this, that when God begins to do something, the supernatural is not just the phenomena that we see, the supernatural is the transformative power of the reality of Christ in the way people live. Now, I love to see God move. The manifestations of his presence are something I have 
been blessed by many, many times, but a greater level of that manifestation is not that we shake, we rattle and roll, or we're filled, or we're exuberant. The greater measure or evidence of that movement is that I think differently. I live differently. I care courageously. I give outrageously. They sold their property and possessions and gave to anyone who had need. Let's pause for a moment at that. I think sometimes generosity is an underestimated attribute of the Spirit amongst His people. But when I've looked back across the places and times we've seen God move in power, one of the fundamental things that actually changes when we allow the Holy Spirit to fill us and to lead us is that God begins to develop in the hearts of people a superior new reality to the mindset of an orphan. You see, an orphan holds on to everything. A son who inherits everything has a generosity and a stewardship attached to that reality that means that whatever God has given me is for the benefit of other people also. I love it. I think it's Smith Wigglesworth or one of those who said that evangelism is one beggar who's received bread telling another where bread can be found. Are you listening to Creflo Dollar preaching while I'm... <laughs> when we were in Glasgow, we started to see these incredible, phenomenal things that the Holy Spirit was doing. And uh, we were as curious as everybody else as to what does this mean. And out of the blue one day, a gentleman knocked the door of our church, and I didn't know him. He wasn't part of the church community. He said, can I speak with the pastor? Now, when some strange individual comes to the front door of the church and asks to speak to the pastor, how many of you, how many of your hearts would be filled with hope? I thought it must be a noise, pollution issue, it's probably someone's parked on his drive and whatever it was. And so he said, can I come and talk to you? He said, I feel that God has told me to come to you because something is happening here. Join the church or whatever. He said, here's 30,000 pounds. Feel free to follow him in any way you want. Someone should lead and someone should follow. <laughs> okay, and he said, God has told me that this church is about to impact the city and I need to give my seed to this church because they are about to see many lives come to faith. At that point, we had no idea what that meant. We prayed about it. We sought the heart of God. But we had started a work on the streets of Glasgow with girls who were in the sex trade and we'd started to see many of their lives get impacted by the power of the Holy Spirit. There's some remarkable stories there. I'll tell them to you one day. And we did this because we had an individual in the church who felt she was called to do that. She lived on the streets herself. And so we went along on a Friday night with little cups of soup and polystyrene cups, and we chatted to these girls. Some of them were as young as 14, some even 12 or 13. And they were, you know, peddling their wares to in terrible conditions. But, but because God had led us out of the building onto the streets of Glasgow, suddenly someone came who understood kingdom principles and said, I think it's time that I give to this particular congregation or this group of people resources, kingdom resources, to extend the purposes of God. 
And um, that began this exceptional journey where we saw hundreds of people come to faith, where we saw the church mobilized in servant evangelism, where we saw all kinds of stories come back to us, where people were just in the ordinary everyday of life starting to see that the power of God was turning up. They were getting words of knowledge or words of wisdom over people. And, you know, without us even understanding what was happening, I believe what happened right at the beginning is God was supplying kingdom resources for kingdom purposes. And if you want to see revival and you believe that revival is possible and you're expectant of that, always, always pay attention to the understory that happens in the background of the sensational story. So the church gets caught up with Tongues of fire, and wouldn't you? Wouldn't you? I would. <laughs> I'd be talking about that for years. They get caught up with the wind, the sound of a mighty rushing wind. We would dine out on that for years. The sensational power of the Holy Spirit. Thank you, Jesus. Keep coming that way. We get caught up with the whole outpouring of speaking in tongues. And yet underneath this, underneath all of this, are other attributes of the Holy Spirit working that are really not just giving people uh, an, a, a moment, but giving them a movement away from a trinity of me, myself, and I to living sacrificially in a world that was hostile and against them. That, to me, is just the breathtaking reality of what the Holy Spirit can do. So they sold their property and possessions and gave to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread. In their homes they ate together with glad and sincere hearts. Verse 47, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And guess what? Not a surprise to me or hopefully to you. And the Lord added to their numbers on a daily basis. What's your point, Simon? My point is this. That God never intended the outpouring of the Holy Spirit to be confined to the gatherings of the church. God's intention was that the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, clearly marked in Acts chapter 2, would lead the church out of self-interest into world interest. God's desire was that which empowered them would turn up in their context and turn up in their city and turn up in their workplace it was always the heart of God to start a movement, not create a monument. Now, we look back at these things and we think, thank God for the day of Pentecost. But the day of Pentecost would never have changed your life if God didn't do something, which we'll come to in a minute, that mobilized the church again to mission. Their gatherings were marked by exceptional power. Demonstrable love was there. Tangible hope was evidenced. Who would want to leave an irresistible gathering like that? And apparently, it's so obvious to me, no one. <laughs> Nobody wanted that to end. Nobody understood that to keep it flowing and to keep it going, they needed to get out of the building and see God do things beyond that particular context. But then a moment came. A moment came for the first century church that began to change everything. And it wasn't a guest speaker. Nobody turned up with a new message. Guess what happened to the New Testament church that changed their wonderful desire to meet with God in their gatherings? Well, we find it in Acts chapter 8. If you have a Bible, turn to it, please. Acts 
It says, on that day, this is the day that this began, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem. And all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Without wanting this, without even understanding why it happened, God allowed a difficult situation to be utilized to his greater advantage, and that was to mobilize the church. Do you mind if I take my jacket off? I'm going through the menopause, and it's very warm. Is that okay? Trevor agrees. Now, let's pause for a moment. Let's pick up the thread of thought. A bunch of disillusioned people, detached from the dream that they had, hiding away in a room for fear of their own lives. Everything they gave up looks like it's trashed. And Jesus speaks to them and said, I've made a promise to you. You will receive power. They probably imagined that that was some kind of personal piety experience or a great expression of the love of God for them. And indeed, it was all of that, but it was so much more than that because that power that happened to them actually flowed through them in Acts chapter 2, and many people came to faith. The whole of a city was changed in a day by the power that was deposited upon the early church. Amen? Amen. Oh, God, do it again. Do it again, Lord. And like all of us, they enjoyed, they enjoyed that. I often think when we've been praying for people over the years that really what's happening is when we're seeing miracles and, and signs of God moving is the church are just being reassured that Jesus is alive. It's kind of almost like an immature approach, I think, sometimes um, to spiritual things. But nonetheless, God chooses to work with that. And, and one of the things that I want to promise you is that our meetings are going to get hotter and hotter and hotter and hotter. I mean, a day will come when you will not be able to stand in the presence of God. Not because you found your seat quickly, but because the presence and the power of God is so evident. Amen? And over these last weeks or months, there's been incremental increase to that power at work with us. Our questions, therefore, have to be different now. If God is with us and he's moving amongst us, what is that unto what does he desire to do? Because the biggest thing that we need to guard ourselves against is just camping and enjoying the presence of God on a personal level. There's nothing wrong with that, but the divine dream for your life is so much more than you have a great encounter than when you come to Christian Life Church. The divine dream is that God would empower you by his spirit to change his world. That's the divine dream. When it says in the Old Testament, I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord, plans to prosper and to bless you, to give you a hope and a future, it's so much more than a new car. It's far more than just having a life that's good. It's so much more expansive than just being good at what you do and loving your family, as good as that is. When God prophesies and says the dreams I have for you, says the Lord, uh, to prosper and to bless you. It's simply this, that your heart and your life will be so full of his Holy Spirit's power 
that every environment you stand in has to bow its knee to the reality of Jesus Christ. That's the divine dream. So you're going for a job and they think they're employing you to do X, Y, and Z, but you're there to fulfill the dream in the heart of God to see his kingdom come and his will be done. That's the divine dream. And you can have all the other stuff too. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and all his righteousness. And all these things will be added to you. It's not wrong to have things, but it is wrong when things have you. If you're more orientated to what you can get, then you're probably going to miss out on the greater gift of God, which is to see what he can do through your life. And suddenly this great outpouring of the Holy Spirit this movement of God, this desire to see the world transformed, actually they all begin to enjoy it just a little bit too much. And so God allows, God allows persecution to come. Hallelujah. One of my uh, desires orientations, perhaps now a better word, is to understand not just the word of God, but the ways of God. God has particular ways that he does certain things. Um, and they're not always repetitive because he's far too creative for that. But one of the things that God has always seemed to use in our relationship with him, and I think throughout the scriptures it's evidenced, is persecution. Where there is great adversity in someone's life, there's often also great glory. Amen? Yeah, I love Christians. We sing songs we don't mean. We sing songs like this. You know, he gives and takes away. Gives and takes away. My heart will choose to say. What happened to you, Jesus, today? <laughs> Give and we, we sing, but we don't understand that when God wants to do something and we are not mobile because we've camped somewhere, our mind has limited what's possible, God often uses a little bit of adversity so he can give you a better story. A better story. Amen. Now, they didn't want that. <laughs> they didn't expect that. They wanted to stay in Jerusalem. But remember the first promise of Jesus? You will receive power to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria. You see, it's so often the problem of the human heart is that we just limit the capacity of God by the way that we think. These people were enjoying the presence of the Holy Spirit. Well, God bless them. That was really good. But the divine dream was always much more than a handful of people in one city in the world enjoying the presence of God. The divine dream was through ordinary lives filled with extraordinary power, God would turn up in a phenomenal way and rewrite the story of nations. Now, they didn't want persecution, but God used persecution to scatter the church, to mobilize the church to vision. And so when I think of things like that, I think this way. 
okay, God, if I am not going to move because I don't have wisdom or clarity about what you want to do, then will you move me? If you're moving on me, will you move me? So we're living in a lovely world at the moment where you can believe that you're half centipede. and half hamster and everyone would go oh oh come here we love you as you are well I'm not sure I love you as you are if you're half centimeter and half hamster I might need to adjust to that it doesn't really matter how you present yourself to the world everybody embraces everybody and actually that's a Christian virtue it's a Christian virtue. Let's not underestimate the power of acceptance. It's a beautiful thing, and everyone deserves to be accepted. The difficulty with that is that alongside all of this great acceptance is massive rejection. Now, you can believe anything you like. You can believe that this is an octopus. If you disagree with me, then you're very narrow-minded and really shouldn't be anywhere in my orbit, <laughs> my personal space, okay? Because you're stealing my light. You're stealing my energy, bro. <laughs> Take it from me. And it, nobody will say anything, but if you say I'm a born again believer, I believe in Jesus Christ, he's my Lord and my savior, people go, And all the church does about that, forgive me, is whinge. Here's a better alternative. Why don't you wonder if persecution is coming and it has come to the church, what's God trying to do? What's God up to? Ever ask that question? If the church is, and the economy and the agenda of the enemy is to marginalize the church, which I think you could probably safely say it is, what is the plan of God? What does God want to do? You do know the devil works for Jesus, don't you? He's got limited resources. So if you are having a difficult time he obviously realizes something good is coming your way. A little adversity is an indicator to you of a greater glory. So without realizing it, I think he doesn't. He'd have a really bad day if he realized all of this was working together for the good of those who love the Lord. Perhaps somebody should send him the memo. Even if he throws everything at you, there is a God who is sovereign and powerful who makes all things work together for the good of those who love him. So the devil works for God. Sorry, God, if that's not right. But I think that way. I think, okay, so here's what I should be praying, okay? If I understood how God moves, bring it on, Satan. Bring it on. The greater the adversity 
the greater the glory. Think about it. So a movement turned into a monument, and God had to unsettle some things. COVID was the beginning of unsettling the church. We've become far too comfortable. We sing our songs, we do our thing, we go home and nothing changes. And I watched from afar everybody whining and whinging about the fact that they couldn't meet in a room and they couldn't sing the favorite songs and they couldn't listen to somebody like me waffling on for hours. Although some of you know that's a blessing, don't you? <laughs> and I thought, what are you doing, God? What are you doing in your church? What's happening in this world? And what it exposed for us is a couple of things. We're quite reliant on some things. We had a lot of props. You know, we have little investment in the week, but I turn up on Sunday and the worship's good and now I feel well for Monday. You see, if I'm living like that, Tuesday's going to be terrible. Another thing it exposed, sorry, it's going to hurt some thinking now, is just how badly discipled we are. You see, somehow in some way, I fell into the trap of believing that this whole thing existed for my well-being. It was a simple error. The church exists for the glory of God. When I make this about me, I've lost a fundamental focus to the way I think and the way I live my life. And consequently, many have fallen away from following Jesus. Do you know that's prophesied? At the end times, many will be deceived. That's prophesied. So you hold on to your hat as long as you can. But God is up to something. He's trying to make a monument once again into a movement. Another thing that's changed and fundamentally it'll become apparent over the next few years is denominations. By default, they categorized people. Well, it would seem to me that in spite of us trying and every attempt we've made to keep an exclusivity on particular things, the Holy Spirit doesn't seem to have the same ideology. I mean, can you believe it? God's turning up in the Catholic Church. Who does he think he is? And, and the reason why we should think about that is because he said in this very passage in chapter 2 of Acts, in the last days I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. You will have brothers from other mothers that you have yet to meet. You have yet to meet. And they'll shock you with how on fire for Jesus they are. You see, we thought as Pentecostals we had everything. And God has expanded our viewpoint and said, no, I had a bigger plan than just one group of people. I'm moving in all kinds of ways and shapes and places through all kinds of people. Someone say amen to that. Amen. So that's shifting. That's a fundamental shift that's happening. Another thing, I'm just prophesying now or letting you know, is that hierarchical leadership structures are a thing of the past. 
what will happen in the days ahead as we embrace the power of the Spirit is that ordinary people with their ordinary lives would turn up in their ordinary contexts with extraordinary power and see the kingdom of God come to pass. Two, three people at the top of a pyramid will never be able to facilitate that. What God is doing is raising up a body of believers. God is raising up a body of people. And, and I'm, I'm telling you, I'm telling you, as sure as I'm standing here before you in my size 12 jeans. <laughs> we will never, ever, ever be able to contain what God is going to do in the last days. There is no building. There is no denomination. There is no mindset. There is no culture that has the exclusivity on containing what the Spirit of God is going to do as power, as power begins to refashion and reform the church. And so I look at the telly and I think, oh, Jesus, what are you doing in our world? I look at wars and rumors of wars and anarchy and disruption and I think, oh God, you must be nearer than I imagined. Jesus, you're closer than I ever thought you could ever be in my lifetime. And my role, I suppose, or my job as a Christian is to ask those questions. Not what is the devil doing in our world. It's clear. We can see that. What is Jesus fashioning and shaping in the hearts of his believers? You see, because vision is about who you're becoming, not just about what you're doing. And the kind of people that God is going to raise up in this generation are going to have courage in shed loads. That's why the enemy has tried so hard to intimidate. The opposite is true. God is going to raise up courageous believers. You've been so self-conscious about your inability and your lack of spirituality. That's... Satan's perspective on your life. <laughs> Let's trade it up for God's. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Two realities. I can do nothing, I'm disqualified. Or I can do everything and anything through Christ, the power of his spirit who strengthens me. Which reality do you want to live in? Which of those two truths are you going to adopt? Society tells us that the church is the tail, but the Bible tells us that the church is the head. Society tells us that we're the last people, but the Bible tells us that we're the first. There are lots of things happening in spiritual realms over our world that are trying to steal from the church her rightful place in end-time realities. And the key, the key that unlocks all of this truth to us is our profound and glorious friend, the Holy Spirit, who on the day of Pentecost awakened a fearful, cowardly, intimidated bunch of people and established them as a new community that reflected the Trinity here on earth. When all of that glory was moving in their gatherings, and they failed to understand that the dream of God was so much more than just great meetings and great encounters. God used persecution 
to scatter the church into all kinds of contexts. In verse 8, sorry, chapter 8, verse 4, it says, Those have been scattered. This is what they did in their persecution. They preached the word wherever they went. Acts 8, verses 5 to 8 says, Philip went down to a city in Samaria and proclaimed, The Messiah is there. When the crowds heard Philip and saw the signs he performed, they all paid close attention to what he said. For with shrieks, impure spirits came out of many, and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was a great joy in that city. Right now, in the midst of persecution, these ordinary believers with extraordinary power went into all kinds of contexts and brought life. Ordinary people scattered by persecution started to see the power and the glory of God in every possible way break out in their lives. And so many of us here today, uh, as a result of that scattering, don't be disheartened by the persecution of the church. It's been prophesied for thousands of years that it will come to pass. Be heartened by this truth, that the power of God that lives inside of you is unstoppable, there are no limits to what God can do. He is the God of the pressed down, shaken up, and overflowing reality. Now to him, that's us moving away from us. To him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or even imagine, according to his power at work in us, be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus for generations to generations. What God did in a moment, you are the fruit of that today. And what God can do in a moment here, there are countless millions of people who will be the fruit of that in the days that are yet to come. We are not having meetings. We are becoming a movement of people filled by the Spirit's power, commissioned by God, and sent out into every context and into every environment to bring life to cities and, dare I say, nations. Nations. We wanted to give time. It always runs away with me. For us to receive a fresh infilling of the Holy Spirit. If you would like for us to pray for you for that, why don't you make your way to the front, please? And Michael, if you could come back, that would be great. Who will be courageous enough to come first? Tom, why am I not surprised? Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord Jesus. Just so we're all clear theologically about this moment. When the scriptures invite us to be filled with the Holy Spirit, God doesn't see that as a moment in time. He sees that a movement takes place in your life. And the 
actual terminology around it is this. Be you consistently being filled with the Holy Spirit. And so it's great that maybe 20, 30, 40 years ago you had an encounter with God. I love that and we treasure that. But actually today, God wants to reinvigorate that. He wants to restore the joy of your salvation. He wants to create in you a clean heart and he wants to empower you for service. So if you're not in need of that or don't think you require that, then I must be really blessed or asleep, I'm not sure. But if you're not coming for prayer, would you raise your hand towards those at the frontier and in their moment where they're seeking God for such matters, just pray your blessing on them to receive. I would never let self-consciousness rob me of an infilling of the Holy Spirit. I need to say that to someone here. I would never let familiarity stop me from thinking that I might need God to do something fresh in my life. And I certainly don't want just a history where God touched me 40 years ago. I want a reality. God is touching me today. So those of you who need to be filled with the Spirit, if you can't come out, why don't you stand where you are? That's fine. Can I ask the leadership team to come? And Jane, if you wouldn't mind just... Yeah, Holy Spirit, thank you. Holy Spirit, I thank you that you will never allow your church to be stuck in a moment, even if that moment was exceptional and life-changing. Because you desire to lead us in your movement, Holy Spirit, as the river of life taking us into every place and every space and filling those places with your presence. So we lift our hearts before you today and say, Lord, come. Come and fill us afresh. Holy Spirit, you are more than welcome. Come and have your way in us, Holy Spirit. All of you, all of you in all of me, Holy Spirit. Just lay your hands on them. Just bless them to receive the Holy Spirit this morning. If you've not received the gift of tongues and you'd love to receive the gift of tongues, the evidence of the baptism of the Spirit, then why don't you come out? We'll just lay hands on you to receive that gift. If you would like God to use you in signs and wonders, to take your life and to extend His kingdom through you, why don't you come out and we'll pray for you. Any possible nuance to movement in your life, let that be this moment that begins as a catalyst to that. Now, the rest of us, just pray, just seek the Lord for these people. Father, fill to overflowing your church with power. You said you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Lord, we pray that we would receive power today. Come in power, Lord. Yea, come in power, Holy Spirit. Come and baptize us afresh today. Baptize our hearts. Awaken us to love. Thank you, Holy Spirit.
Come and have your way. Fill our lives, oh God. Fill our lives, oh God. With your power, your power, your power, Lord. It's not by might, Lord. But by your Spirit, Lord, Holy Spirit, come, have your way in us. Fill us to overflowing and release us, God. Release us, Jesus. I declare greater he who is in you more is he than anything in this world over every heart and every life I say greater is he who is in you more powerful than any other thing Holy Spirit, come, have your way. Holy Spirit, you are welcome. Come flood this place. Your glory. To be overcome, Holy Spirit, you come flood, come flood my heart, fill me with your goodness, God, your glory. God is what my heart to be overcome. Okay, okay. Can I ask you if you're standing at the front, would you just turn around and face your brothers and sisters? Would you mind doing that? Turn around and face people, just if you can. Can you pray for them the other way? Would that be okay? Yeah, sure. is that, is that, Thank you. So, that's okay. There is a breed of people rising in the church today who will not be intimidated by culture or society. A breed of people who have a growing discontentment with what everyone considers to be reality. There's a breed of people, a Gideon's army, reluctant perhaps, 
people who think they are disqualified through all kinds of reasons, but the sound of the voice of the Lord is speaking to them, and he's declaring that they are mighty warriors. There's a breed of people that's rising up from under the surface in many contexts like this with fire in their hearts and love that's expressed through demonstration of the kindness of God through acts and works and demonstrations of God's goodness. There is a whole bunch of people. And right now, what we're witnessing is forerunners, people who are starting that adventure with God. First adopters, I think they call them in the corporate world, who are saying, as for me in my house, we will go in this direction. We're commissioning them right now to go into the highways and the byways and to bring life to every context. This is a moment that will turn into a movement. As they go, we will start to see the signs and the wonders and the miracles. And we'll be convinced more and more that the God who has given us power did so so that his world could come alive to Christ. Right now in this moment, God is doing something exceptional. He's pointing us outside of the church to the world around us to go into all of those contexts and bring his life. So this is not ordinary. It may look ordinary, but remember, in the midst of something ordinary, God always does something extraordinary. My prayer is that those who have eyes see what the Holy Spirit is doing and those who have ears hear what the Holy Spirit is saying. And now we say, go, place the soles of your feet in every context, in every place, and remember this moment. You have received power from the Holy Spirit to rewrite the story in every context you find yourself in. And all God's people said, and some even got excited and shouted hallelujah. We're going to linger for a moment, but if you need to go, that is absolutely fine. Thank you for being with us here this morning. We're praying and consistently pray for this church to rise in its fullness into all that God has promised her. If you've been watching with us online, thank you for your patience with us. We kind of meander around these things, but we get there in the end. And we commission you in the precious name of Jesus Christ to live your best life for him. And remember this, he's with you. He's for you, and he even goes before you and prepares a table, even in adverse circumstances. If you're struggling with adversity, rise up in that. As the enemy comes in like a flood, the Lord raises a standard. Just rise up in that. Think differently. Think gloriously. Think strategically. God has something for you that the devil is trying to steal from you. He's always been a robber and a thief. He has no new tricks. And by the way, he doesn't waste his energy on people that aren't going somewhere. So rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice because behind that door that's adverse to you is an invitation to something that God has prepared for you. Go out and take authority over certain things this week. And remember that you're not here to lord it over anybody. You are just God's scattered servants, sent out full of hope and joy and love into every context and you're commissioned and equipped to bring new life. May God bless you this week.